the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. And we just had a very interesting first segment about some worldwide issues about um, Catholic Charities, Caritas in different parts of the world. And uh, now we're going to turn a little bit closer to home in our conversation about how are people actually engaged in civic life. And Tom, as, as you know, one of the, one of the uh, aspects or one of the components of Catholic social teaching is in fact the uh, engagement participation in civic life. So I'm really delighted that we're going to be having that conversation. And I'm delighted to welcome to Just Love, Dr. Sarah Saeed, who is the chair and the executive director of the New York City Civic Engagement Commission. Dr. Saeed, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love and kind of enlightening our listeners. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. How have you been? You've been okay? Yeah, I've been good. I remember that I was um, here talking with you a while ago before the pandemic about uh, interfaith work. Um, so I'm really delighted to be back talking right. with you and your listeners again. Well, I'm delighted. I am delighted also. So again, just kind of remind our, our listeners a little bit, give them a little bit of sense of your background. And uh, now you are the chair, the executive director of the New York City Civic Engagement Commission. But that's not how you began life. So give all this a little <laughs> bit of a background. They can hear your voice. Let them know a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, sure. I actually started out my professional career journey as a professor teaching communication at Baruch College, which is one of the colleges in the city university system here in New York City. And um, then I went on to do interfaith um, organizing work with grassroots religious leaders in New York City. And we um, did a lot of work getting faith leaders together around issues of social justice and concerns that all New Yorkers share in common. And one of the programs we ran was actually partnering Catholic and Muslim social service providers and houses of worship in um, three boroughs in, in the Bronx, Manhattan, and Staten Island. And then from there, I went on to work for Mayor de Blasio as a senior advisor on Muslim engagement. And the former mayor, um, this commission was you know, just started in 2018, and I was appointed to lead it in 2019. Right. So really excited to be here working with all New Yorkers. Wonderful. So Dr. Seed, um, you know, I think the words, a lot of people understand a civic engagement commission, but it, it kind of came out of, um, of, a, of a kind of a vote and uh, a revision of the charter. Or, so I'm not, so tell us this, how did that come to be and, and what exactly is it? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, so the Civic Engagement Commission is an agency that New Yorkers voted to create. 
So I think that makes us unique means, you know, government can start offices in a variety of ways, sometimes council members propose bills and then, you know, offices start that way. For example, the office to prevent hate crimes was started that way. Um, And also mayors and elected officials can just decide they want to create an office. This office was actually on the ballot and it was part of a charter reform measure. And so I think that makes us unique. You know, we're focused on democracy and we are democratically elected commission. Right. And um, the charge of the commission that that New Yorkers wanted to see happen was that they wanted to have a space inside of government to promote better engagement. Um, And so we are mandated to run citywide participatory budgeting. We run um, language assistance at poll sites um, during elections. We work with community boards. And during the pandemic, we also started and are continuing to work with grassroots coalitions in the 33 neighborhoods hardest hit by COVID. So we're looking for on-ramps to civic engagement, on-ramps to democratic engagement to really strengthen democracy in New York City and hopefully also to be a role model for other places in this country around the world. So uh, let me ask the question a little bit this this way. I mean, again, if you kind of read some of the hype about, you know, American spirit and democracy, um, right. if you read some of the hype about it, you think everybody's participating in everything. Everybody's engaged in different ways. But I think, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what you're saying is that maybe not so much. Maybe that's right. not everybody. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. And and again, um, as a whole society, are we less engaged today than we would have been 10, 15, 50, 100 years ago, more engaged? What's going on? Give our listeners a sense of that. Yeah. So I think engagement works in different ways and also works in different communities. And I think maybe for, you know, we've, we live in a very segmented, you know, media environment. So a lot of people are talking with people who are like them. So engaged people are talking to more engaged people and that affects our perception of the world. And I think the reality is probably a lot of people are volunteering in, you know, all kinds of organizations, that's also part of civic engagement, right? Whether it's your, you know, your church or parish or like a soup kitchen. Um, So I'm sure a lot of people are volunteering and the numbers that we have for volunteering, probably not capturing the extent to which it happens. I would say for voting is actually the reverse. (laughs) Um, In New York City, as an example, we are really good about registering people to vote like 80, you know, up, 70 and to 80% of people who are eligible to be registered to vote are actually registered voters, but less than half of those eligible people are actually voting in elections. And that's the presidential. It's about 40% participation rate. And then when you get into local elections, it's even worse. It's like 26% voted in the 2021 primary, um, as an example. And it's about that much for the general as well when it's local elections. So voting, not so not so great. We need to do a lot more to increase and keep people engaged in elections. And then what happens in between elections, right? Like how do people continue to have a say in policies and programs? So we're very focused on strengthening those that kind of participation, both elections and in between. And our programs like participatory budgeting and community boards are really meant to support year-round engagement. Yeah. So, Dr. Sa- Saeed, you brought up something uh, which intrigued me, 
So tell me about this um, participatory budgeting project. Yeah, so it's the first time that we are doing citywide participatory budgeting, and the process is called the people's money. And we, um, Mayor Adams allocated $5 million, and New Yorkers get to have a say in how to spend that $5 million and direct say uh, by vote. So we went through a process where people propose ideas for how to solve problems that they're seeing in their neighborhood or in their borough, and to like over 12,000 New Yorkers participated in that process. We got over 4,000 ideas. And then we had borough assembly committees where New Yorkers volunteered to join these committees and review all of those ideas and come up with ballots. So now we have ballots that are um, for each borough as well as ballots for the 33 neighborhoods. And what New Yorkers are doing right now during vote period is actually voting on the projects that they wanna see implemented in their neighborhoods. And then in July, we'll be announcing the winning projects and community-based organizations will receive the funds to actually implement those projects. So that is citywide participatory budgeting in a nutshell. Oh, that's a great, great example. So, um, you know, I know ballots are, are kind of confidential and we secret ballots and things like that, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. So yeah. which of the projects did you vote for? Well, give us, give us, give us listeners an idea of concretely what were some of the projects that were on the ballot. Sure, I can I can share some of the ballots. I mean, there are, um, for example, job training workshops, uh, mental health education for the community. There are intergenerational opportunities. You know, once the programs that are teaching seniors how to use computers and youth are their mentors, and then teaching people English or teaching people Spanish. So there's a wide variety of programs that are meant to support what we all know to be big problems in our communities, but these solutions are community driven. And they're also doable, feasible solutions that we will see implemented over the course of the coming year from July to July. Was there kind of a range of a budget for the projects that could go on the ballot? Yes, um, yes, we have uh, we have a diff- we have ranges of uh, budgets for the boroughs. Um, the decisions about how to allocate the amount to each borough was made ba- made based on population size of the borough as well as the poverty level in each borough. Right. And in addition to that, we are giving an additional amount to the 33 neighborhoods that are were hardest hit by COVID that have a lot of equity gaps. Um, you know, so we're we're trying to really create an equity driven process that's you know, trying to bring people up from where we know that there were a lot of gaps that we saw surfacing again during the pandemic. So we're hoping to work with those communities. Right. So the individual projects, how big, how big are their budgets? Are they a million dollars, $5,000, 50,000? It, it really varies. Um, at the neighborhood level, each project is about five fifty thousand. Okay. And then there are borough-based projects that, you know, that vary that, you know, could be like 250000 um, as an example. So it depends on the, geo- the geographic level at which they're being implemented. We're speaking with Dr. Sarah Said, who's the chair and executive director of the New York City Civic Engagement Commission. And uh, we're speaking about the work of the commission in trying to encourage civic engagement. Um Dr. Saeed, um, you mentioned, you know, some good news about the numbers of people registering to vote, maybe not so good news in the people who actually go out to vote. Um, 
what what are you seeing, you know, broadly as the obstacles that you see either a to kind of voting specifically or civic engagement in general? Yeah, I think that's um, really it's really important as we are trying to solve that problem to really think about what you know, what are what are the drivers of what's happening right now? Right. And one, I would say, is lack of awareness for sure. Like just, there's just a lot of people who do not know, for example, that there's a primary coming up, you know, on in, at the end of this month. Right. And um, some of that is just due to like a lot of people pay attention to presidential elections. They don't pay attention to local politics as much. Right. So one is a knowledge gap. Um, and then I think the other gap is a gap of cynicism is a gap of despair because I think there are people who have taken the time to vote, have taken the time to participate, have gone to like their local, you know, community board meeting or gone to a local school PTA meeting and they haven't seen their voice really have impact or they've seen that, you know, the people that they put elected into office have disappointed them in a variety of ways, right? So I think there there is some level of cynicism about how democracy works, whether people in power really listening um, so, and we, we think that's actually a pretty, pretty significant problem, um, particularly for some communities. So I would say the knowledge gap and cynicism gap, and then there's also issues of access. For example, um, you know, people who are limited English proficient or have, you know, disabilities may not, you know, may not have the same kind of access to participation, Right. Um, so we're trying to also address that kind of gap in New York City. There's like 200 plus languages that are spoken and the Board of Elections does a phenomenal job of providing interpreters um, in the languages that are required by the Voting Rights Act. And at the same time, New York is demographically shifting a lot. So some of the languages that are growing in New York City are not covered by the BOE. So we're trying to support those language communities. So knowledge, cynicism, access are some of the things that we're seeing. Maybe this, maybe under that rubric of, of cynicism is something I'm going to throw out there, but maybe it's not. What about the fact that everybody's so busy? I mean, yes, you know, um, and I'll, I'll give you a voting example with regard to, to myself. Um, they've changed my voting place, like for the past three years. Yeah. I mean, can't they just stay in one place so that I end the place where I now have to go to vote is not anywhere in my neighborhood. Um, it's I mean, it's just crazy. Somebody may have looked at a map and said, oh, it's only blah, 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 miles away, but it's not in the neighborhood. It just is crazy. And the other thing is early voting, which strikes me as being a good thing. But the early voting place isn't where you go on voting day. I mean, did somebody create this system? to make it hard to vote? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think the issue of people being busy, I think, is very real, particularly for our time. There are a lot of demands that, you know, New Yorkers and just everyday people have just getting through life, you know, is a lot. And then there's also the demand on our attention. So there's so many things that call for our attention. So you're absolutely right to point that out. And then the problems of like poll sites moving, which usually has to do with redistricting, or, you know, re reorganizing some of the poll site locations to serve the maximum amount of people. And there has been a lot of that. And New Yorkers, like people don't know that their poll site has moved. So we've, we've heard from people who have had that challenge. Um, 
and I think it's also, um, you know, it, it, they're intended, they're re these reforms are intended to help, but then there's, there are things about them that don't work as well, like, the, for, the, for example, the early voting site um, addition was really meant to make it easier for people to vote so they don't have to take time on election yeah. day. Um, and at the same time, yes, you have to travel farther, right? Because yeah. we, we're not at the point right now where the sites that are serving on the day of elections are able to be used for the entire early voting period. So let me ask you, ask you this question, which I'm sure 20,000 people have asked you. Listen, I can do 90% of my life online. Yes. So why can't I vote online? Good question. I don't know the answer to that because I, I not, I don't work uh, in that space of running the elections, right? But I think that's a fair and very important question, and I think we need to see, you know, legislation to push. And I think people need to have raise their voice on that, right? Like to push for that to happen in an era where so much is online. Yes, we should be able to move into that. But one of the challenges with it is guaranteeing the integrity of the vote. Yeah. Right. So that that those kinds of things have to be worked through. But I think it's a it's a it's an aspirational, valid goal for us to yeah. move as a country. Yeah. You know, I, obviously, I agree with that. But um, but when we figured out how to move millions of dollars securely from one bank account to another. Yeah, there is the technology to to create security. So I know so, you have plenty. I know you have plenty to do. No, hundred percent agree with you. Actually, you know, like, we just need I'm gonna, to do that. I, I think you should make that one of the commission's policy points mm. to that that how that would help in engagement. And, and I'll even offer you this: um, if you just want to allow one person to vote online, I'll be your pilot person. <laughs> okay, we, well, we definitely keep that, that in works. mind. <laughs> call, um, call you, call you for that. <laughs> so, so you know, you mentioned something which I'd like to explore a little bit more with you. And I'm just going to share with you what I perceive to be a little bit of the problem that we have as a society. And let me phrase it this way. I think some of our, you know, institutions, you know, are not as as strong, not as much participation. We know that religious institutions, churches, people aren't going as much. I also think there aren't as many neighborhood associations or block associations, as there may have been in the, in the past. I'm not saying none, but yeah. but I think to some extent, and I my hypothesis, and this is a little problem, because of those things decreasing, we almost have made politics the only form of civic engagement. Now I know yeah. it's not true, but 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 you know when you social media, cable talk shows. All they talk about is what, I'm sorry, the latest ill-informed elected official says about a topic they didn't know what in a very, very kind of controversial way. And and we don't say, as you mentioned, well, you know, volunteering is up and that's civic engagement. How do we kind of say to people, hey, wait a minute, you can get engaged in, in our society in lots of different ways. If you're cynical about politics, all right, we don't want you to be, but if you are, but you can do A, B, and C. 
Yeah, I think you're you're making a really beautiful point. Is that 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 sense of neighborliness and working together with your community is has been dwindling, and that's part of why we've really you know this this participatory budgeting program is really meant to help people come together at the neighborhood, and you know local level, to really talk with one another because we all we all have ideas for what we think are our problems. In our communities, and then to get people together in the room and really think about like what what are the issues that we care about in this community? How do we help the most vulnerable people in our community, whether it's seniors or veterans or people with disabilities? And let's think of solutions that we can imagine together. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to bring back that deliberative process, you know, through the participatory budgeting program, and that's an example of like an innovation that's happening in a lot of cities, actually. And New York City, um, you know, is is joining a citywide, you know, citywide kind of scale on that. So that that's really exciting, and and I think I hope that 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 kind of meeting will will reinvigorate like the neighborhood associations or the block associations to come back with fuller strength. Okay. Well, Dr. Sarah Sarid, the chair, executive director of the New York City Civic Engagement Committee, thank you for kind of taking on this task, which is so critically important and. Gee, thanks so much for taking the time to being with us on Just Love today and, and best of work with the commission. And I'm going to end by saying online voting. That's what we need. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyone who is a New York City resident, if you are 11 years or older, regardless of citizenship or incarceration status, you can go and vote online. And the site is on.nyc.gov forward slash P. B. That's PB as in participatory budgeting. So we we would love to have people participate, encourage family to participate, because if we're talking about culture change and democratic participation, you start with your family, you start with your neighbors, you start with your community. So Dr. Saeed, give us, us that give us that website again. ON.nyc.gov forward slash PB. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Zareed, Chair, Executive Director of the New York Civic Engagement Commission. Thanks for being with us. Tom, Thank I think so we'll much. take a break now and we'll be take back care. in just a moment. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. Um, hey, Tom, have you, I, I think I know the answer to this. Uh, you've not been to China, China, right? I've been to Taiwan. Uh, but never have to, you? Yes, I have, but never to mainland China. And uh, I, w- I, I went actually over Monsignor. It was part of our Buddhist Catholic dialogue. And uh, a lot of the Chinese Buddhists, you know, their, their primary place of, 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 I guess, of where they, you know, their religion is based today is Taiwan, because obviously it wouldn't be in the uh, in, in mainland China because they, you know, they're not as supportive of, of, of religious belief. So it was honestly, Monsignor, one of the most magnificent trips I think I've ever been on. They were so... They were so wonderful. They were such good hosts. Um, and and physically, Taiwan, which many people wouldn't know, is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Really, oh. really pretty. Yeah. How long were you there for? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks in Taiwan? Yep. We went all around the island. That we went uh that we they rented a bus for us and we went from uh Taipei all the way down to the south. And then we went up what would be the eastern coast. Uh, which is along the Pacific. And that has to be, as I told you, some of the most beautiful scenery I think I've ever seen. It would look like Hawaii. You know, how if big, how big is Taiwan? Taiwan is, it's a, it's a smaller island. I'd say it's probably the size maybe of Rhode Island. I'm going to just throw that out. It's not okay. a very big, it's not a very big placement here, but it's got a lot of people. <laughs> does it? Yeah, it does. It popular. does. It's, it's very, very populous. Yeah, I would say very, very populous. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, so again, I mean, this may not be. Well, let me ask it this way. Um, I'll just ask it. Um, would you go back? In a heartbeat, I would. Really? Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go, and I would recommend it to our listeners, if you ever get a chance to go, the people are wonderful. Um, obviously, you know, it's a little bit, you know, I mean, the situation of Taiwan today politically is a little bit uh, a, a little bit more more dangerous than I, I was when I went. I went right before COVID. Once year. I went back in um, in in November and December of 2019. So it was right before COVID hit. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. Ve- so pretty um, pretty recently. Recently, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, and um, so let me ask then the next question, having been to Taiwan, um, are you interested in going to mainland China? I, you know, I would be only, I, I, you know, I would be interested in going to mainland China simply to, to see it, Monsignor. One thing I will tell you that was very interesting, I, you know, and this has to do while we were traveling around and, and it's, it's interesting because we saw the entirety of Taiwan, right? So when, as I mentioned, I was on the East coast of Taiwan, it was so pristine and so clean and so beautiful on the West coast of Taiwan, which is on the it's right on the border with China. Um, we were uh, going along and the beaches there were very, very dirty. 
I have to say they were they were extremely dirty. There was like oil in the sand and there was garbage that was washing up on the shore. And and, and it was interesting to me to kind of see the difference, you know, only because I was there for two weeks. You know, you can kind of see the contrast and the contrast between the East Coast and the West Coast was incredible. So so you can see kind of, I guess, the pollution that is, you know, that is uh, is generated in mainland China and it does kind of come over to Taiwan. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a real thing. So, so I would be curious to see. I've heard people who go to China, you know, the smog and and those kind of things. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Ah, so, huh? So that's uh, and what's um, isn't one of the issues that we're dealing with with China at the moment is that they are a major, major um, uh, conductor of, of I mean, not a conductor, but a producer of of micro of chips yes yeah that's it yeah taiwan produce is is, i think the world's at least for the west the world's major producer of of these microchips and things of that nature so uh yeah if you go to taipei when senior taipei is is a really modern city like you go and everything is computerized and everything is yeah it's really it's really special and they have these night markets you go out to and they have all these interesting foods um I, I I can't say I tried them all. I tried some. <laughs> so it's really fascinating. So and and I guess from what you're telling me, uh, it's a fairly kind of modernized country. Yes, yes, very. I would say very, it's very very modern. You go, it's it's modern, but they also, I mean, like every place you go, Monsignor, they're very respectful of tradition. And okay. Like you go and you see. Like this, they they have all these beautiful temples. It's predominantly a, a Buddhist country, you know. But we also visited a lot of the Catholic, um, you know, places. Uh, we visited a Marian old missioner there, uh, and uh, who was in Taipei, and and so uh, so we visited some of the Catholic sites too. But they they're they're very respectful of tradition and their ancestors, and uh, and as I said, they're just lovely people. Yeah. Oh, okay, well that's. Um... That's, that's, that's fascinating. That is, that's, that's good. All right. So why don't we go to our next guest, Professor Kevin Ahern. Hey, Tom, you got a lot of academics on our show. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So Kevin Ahern is the Associate Professor of Religious Studies. He's the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild, director of the Dorothy Day Center at Manhattan College. Uh, Professor Ahern, Thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Great to see you, and it's an honor to be here again. Thanks, Monsignor. Thank you. A little bit warmer just being Zoom than when I saw you last week when we were on the Dorothy Day Ferry. With the wind uh, blowing very fast and very cold across a beautiful New York Harbor, even on a cold, uh, cloudy day. Yeah. Yep. So um, anyway, so listen. Um, so give our listeners who maybe didn't have the wonderful opportunity that you, Tom, and I had to be on the maiden voyage of the Dorothy's Day Ferry. Give our listeners a little bit of the whole story of the ferry and give, give our listeners a little sense of what this is all about. Sure. Uh, and some people might not be familiar that in New York City, we have this part this borough, Staten Island, uh, which is rather far from, it's much closer to New Jersey than it is to the island of Manhattan. So to get there, there's a ferry that people can take. 
Uh, and this was something that Dorothy Day took quite a lot to when she went back and forth from Staten Island to Manhattan. Uh, and the city uh, decided several years ago that they needed to have new a new fleet of ferry boats to carry passengers back and forth. It's a free ferry as well. Uh, and you passed right by the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island and all these beautiful sites. Sometimes you can even see uh, dolphins, I've been told. But the the ferry goes uh, back and forth uh, on a half hour most days during the day. And uh, they launched these new fleet of ships. They needed three of them. Uh, And each of these ships carries 4,500 passengers at a time, these state-of-the-art ferry vessels. And the first one's named after a a veteran of the Afghan war who lost his life in service of his his brother's. Then the second one is named after a settlement in Staten Island that was one of the first settlements for African-Americans, the Sandy Ground. And the third, they uh, some woman on Staten Island, a lay woman, decided to take upon herself several years ago to launch a petition to the city and ask that the city name it after Dorothy. And the city listened. And this big, giant $85 million vessel is named after Dorothy Day. So uh, it's really exciting uh, that uh, to see how government can work in this case uh, to, for a, a petition of someone to make it up the ladder. Oh, Kevin, great, great story. And again, uh, for, our, for our listeners who may not be so familiar with, with New York, um, New York, New York City is basically made up of five different counties, which we usually call boroughs. And all of that, or none of them except one, is connected to the mainland of the United United States. So we got a lot of islands. We have Staten Island is an island. Manhattan is an island. Brooklyn and Queens are part of Long Island. They form the westernmost tip of Long Island that stretches you know, quite a distance, 100 miles or more to the east. And then we got the Bronx, which hangs out from the rest of the United States, but is separated from water, uh, I'm sorry, by water with the other places. So as Kevin mentioned, um, you got to do some bridges and tunnels or boats in order to get around New York City if you want to be in more than one part of New York City. And so and, it, um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Monsignor, but if you're going to go from one part of the Archdiocese of New York in Manhattan to Staten Island, which is also part of the Archdiocese, the only way to do it is to go by ferry unless you're going through another diocese, right? Uh, you can't, you, you, the, that's part of, there's no contiguous part by, by road, right? You'd have well, to go- but except, you know, Tom and I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, Tom and I swim it periodically. There we go. So there we, we go. can, we can, uh, we, we can do it that way. But, but <laughs> Kevin, you're, you're hundred percent right. You, so you know. la- last, uh, last Friday, we had this inaugural voyage of this vessel and uh, we spent about a year planning it. I was on a planning committee with the New York City Department of Transportation, and they were great. I really have to give them a lot of a lot of uh, credit uh, because they invited a few of us from the Dorothy Day Guild, from the Dorothy's granddaughter Martha Hennessy, uh, and some others to be involved in the christening, which happened last November. Then this inaugural ride. So there's a plaque on the vessel that tells who Dorothy was. 
uh, our members of this committee helped to draft it. There's, uh, you know, other elements of planning the event, uh, making sure all these different constituencies were happy. Uh, we were involved in that. So I really want to, I think New York City in cooperating with the archdiocese and with uh, the Dorothy Day Guild and Catholic Worker owes, uh, gets a lot, needs a lot of credit for the way they handled this. Well, you know, Kevin, I'm glad you said that because rightly, there's a lot of cynicism about government these days. And, you know, rightly, we can point out some of the policy things that are going on, which are really very, very problematic. Um, and just the inefficiency of government, et cetera, et cetera. But, and all of that's true. However, it's part of the story. And I think you're kind of saying, hey, here's something the government did that made a lot of sense and and whatever is 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 really, really good. You know, Kevin, for the sake of our listeners, one of the things that I was impressed with by the kind of little bit of the ceremony to for the inaugural voyage was the raising up of some of the values that are at the heart of Dorothy Day's life. And one of the reasons why she is being proposed to become a saint in the Catholic Church. So you want to say a little bit about that aspect of Dorothy Day? Yeah, I, I think there are many ways you can talk about Dorothy. She she was a mother, a grandmother. She was, uh, oh, God will, you know, God willing, the church will formally recognize her. But as many of us believe, she was a saint. Uh, during the uh, ceremony, Bishop O'Hara, O'Hara one of the uh, retired auxiliary bishops in the archdiocese, he he described Dorothy as a prophet. Right. And I think that is something that many of us who know about Dorothy would understand what he meant. And uh, prophets can make us uncomfortable, as he said, uh, because they call to mind where uh, where we might be going astray. And Dorothy reminded us of the values of 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 peace, of of the God, the Beatitudes, of the works of mercy, of the importance of of judging everything we do by by how it impacts the poor, what the church calls the option for the poor. Uh, and, you know, but we see that such in the gospel, right? She she was not afraid to take her gospel faith seriously. And that can make people uncomfortable. And I think the way the ceremony handled it, which was really interesting because there was a a, a captain, a military officer from the Coast Guard there, which uh, and there were also avowed pacifists from the Catholic worker in, in the crowd. So there was a bit of a, a tension uh, that you could see there, but uh, it it worked. Uh, and I think that's what that ferry does in an interesting way in New York, which has its own political divisions. Uh, the Staten Island Ferry connects the city. It connects different groups of people. Uh, you know, very, people, businessmen with very high salaries ride that ferry every day, as do kids going to high school, as do people who are unhoused. And uh, I think there's a that was seen in that ceremony. Uh, so Dorothy's attention to the works of mercy, to hospitality, to inclusion, to welcoming people uh, was was very present. As you know, the the commissioner uh, of transportation for the city, uh, Rodriguez, Commissioner Rodriguez, he he gave a a, a beautiful reflection. Uh, and uh, he, for your listeners, he he uh, really highlighted the importance of Catholic Charities New York and the work of Monsignor Sullivan in uh, welcoming him to New York. Uh, and the importance of hospitality and mercy. 
Uh, and that was very present in that in that conversation too. It was, it was a really beautiful ceremony. I, I was I was very excited. Uh, and in the planning, it was interesting. We said, you know, some people might be uncomfortable with uh, with patriotic, the overly patriotic tones of some of the music or some of the other things that are necessary at these types of events. Uh, and so the compromise was that the Catholic worker has a band. Uh, has a folk band, and these two folk singers sang uh, some Pete Seeger-inspired songs uh, to uh, to to bring in the values of peace and justice into that. Yeah, I, I uh, was speaking with Kevin Ahern, who is a professor at Manhattan College. He is also the director of the Dorothy Day Center at Manhattan College and the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild. Um, and uh, uh, for our listeners, um, so I mean, I talk about this all the time. Given my my age and all, um, the band the band epitomizes aging hippies. I mean, it is it one of it was kind of just a really fun band of kind of all of stuff from. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and just added kind of a nice upbeat uh, kind of sense to the to the event. So it was kind you of- know, Monsignor, my eight year old who just had his first communion, he he loves that music uh, <laughs> and uh, he's a big fan of Pete Seeger and those sorts of uh, peace right. spirituals that have emerged from that era. So, yeah, uh, I think it, it, there, there might be some revival there. Yeah, that is, that is good. But, you know, Kevin, the I would say almost all of the um almost all of the kind of remarks that were made i thought were very good very on target um my patient isn't that much so one of them went on for a little bit longer but they were all kind of on on target but the one that struck me the most was the the uh the remarks made by the i don't know what her title was but the um the officer from the Coast Guard who spoke about her daughter. And she she said, I'm not Catholic, um, but my daughter learned of Dorothy Day somehow and has become incredibly um, taken up by Dorothy Day. You want to share with our listeners, Kevin, a little bit more about that story? Yeah, I, with the the captain was saying uh, how, and she she was there, Captain uh, uh, Zeta. She's yeah. a commander, or the commander of the um, of the Coast Guard uh, in New York City. So she was giving the uh, the certif the, cer- the certificate that the vessel was safe to travel, was safe to travel with passengers. Right. So it was uh, it was a formal sort of uh, 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 you're okay to go, like a, like you need to keep it in the glove compartment. I don't know what the ferry's <laughs> Department is, but the uh, she was talking about how her daughter learned about Dorothy, and uh, you know was was trying to was was trying to challenge uh, you know some of the norms that our society has in regards to justice, and uh, was willing to say as a young woman that the the work of this uh, of Dorothy as a model exemplar for her as a non Catholic was was inspiring. Uh, and the the commander even said that when um, 
when the daughter had her yearbook come, she she talked about how, uh, you know, the women who make history are rarely, you know, the famous quote about women who re- make history rarely, uh, you know, be- follow the rules or behave. Uh, and, and that's, I think, you know, something that I think Dorothy is, I see inspiring with my own students is that whether they're Catholic or not, that they see this woman who took what she believed seriously. And in this case, it's the gospel and the works of mercy. Uh, and Dorothy, you know, lived it, tried to live it with integrity. And uh, research shows that young people really respond well to models of people who live with integrity. Uh, and that's, I think, what the commander was, was, was suggesting there, uh, which, which is amazing to hear uh, in that case, which is amazing to hear. And, and this story of, the, of naming the ferry is, you know, a lot of people say, well, why would we want to go about doing this? Dorothy might not have liked it because she was a pretty humble person. But uh, as, as I think uh, the Cardinal, Cardinal Dolan, his eminence, uh, reflected in, in a comment recently, you know, having it named after Dorothy might encourage people to know about her and emulate her. And that's, I mean, that's what the whole sainthood process is about, right? In many ways, right? Getting people to emulate models of holiness. Um, so I, I think if more people can learn about Dorothy because of this ferry, uh, it's worth it. Good. So since you brought it up, yeah. in your role as the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild, um, uh, so how's it going? We're going to get a saint out of her before I die? Well, as one of the bishops reflected, uh, you know, we believe she already is a saint, but we'll 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 wait for Rome's determination. Uh, you know, the process is a long process, as we know, and and complicated, and even more complicated because Dorothy wrote a heck of a lot, uh, and everything she wrote has to be gone through carefully, right? Uh, and so we sent three quarters of a ton of paper to Rome uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, that is going through the process. There's hope to believe that soon we might hear some good news about the status of her being venerable. And that would be great and a moment to celebrate. Uh, for the other next stages, as many of your listeners so, Ke- so Kevin, yeah. Kevin, uh, I want you to spill the beans. So what are we, what are we, so give me, give us a little bit of the, the dirt. How come we, we're thinking this might happen? I want to, I want to know, did you talk to the Pope? Uh, you know, we 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 hear things. There are there are oh. there are things that might be circulating in the ether. But you know, we also pray and have hope. And okay. uh, the only way I function in the morning with three kids is to have hope that everything's going to go okay. <laughs> uh, so we okay. we have hope that things will will, make, uh, will go. Uh, I'm confident that there's no surprises in this text. Uh, and if we can get uh, and this year, you know, is is an important memorial year for her. It's still 120. She was she was 100, born 125 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the 90th anniversary of the Catholic Worker Movement this week. OK, uh, so maybe churches right. like anniversaries. We'll see. We hope. I oh, pray. So, our, so, Kevin, our previous guest said we're going to get a rise in births in China this year or next year because it's the year of the dragon. And somehow the Chinese believe that people born in the year of the dragon have better luck than others. So so maybe the 90th anniversary, the 125th anniversary, maybe that's going to bring us good luck for getting to the next state with Dorothy Day's process <laughs> of formal sainthood. Oh, I, I think uh, I will have to do some more reflection on on when what years people were declared saints and, and how that matches up with the Chinese calendar. I think that'd be a fun exercise someday. I, I might think- have some students do that. I don't know. But, uh, no, it's it's exciting. I think 
there's so much energy about Dorothy that I, I, you know, I, I, there are new books that are coming out in various languages. There are new places being created in, in Europe and in, in Asia and other places. That- and I also, Kevin, I also hear kind of one of the yeah. premier uh, colleges in the, in the New York metropolitan area is establishing a Dorothy Day Institute. Is that true? Yeah, we're, we're going to. So Manhattan College, we've created a Dorothy Day Center for the study and promotion of social Catholicism. So the idea of this is to get more research and student action on some of the things that your show talks about. Uh, and we hope that it gets more students involved in the worker. Uh, every year I teach classes where students go and volunteer at the Catholic worker or volunteer at other Catholic charities or other services related to the church. Uh, and those students come back transformed. Not all, but but many of them come back transformed. Mm-hmm. And that is something we want to honor. We also know that there isn't a public place in New York uh, that really has a actual exhibit to tell about who Dorothy was. So we're opening up an exhibit uh, with a few items from her life, including the uh, famous dress and hat that she wore in her last arrest in California with Cesar Chavez and the farm workers. Uh, and that's a, in a most iconic photo of her, perhaps. Uh, we'll have that on display with information about her. So you can manhattan.edu slash Dorothy Day for more information. But uh, we're hoping to, I've already had a great group of high school students from Regis High School come up to the college recently. We're hoping to do some programming for high school teachers of how to teach about the Catholic social justice tradition using Dorothy as a lens. So we're a lot of exciting things happening there. Are you thinking of doing any events at the Institute in order to kind of raise awareness? Oh, yes. Yeah. So every year for the last eight years, we have had a annual lecture uh, bringing in various people to talk about Dorothy and her legacy and various aspects. Uh, so that'll already be something we'll continue. Uh, we will have a conference next year, a more academic conference, looking at the legacy of Dorothy uh, and what she means for the future and for the church today. Uh, and so that we're going to be doing various events there and getting students involved. So we've had students uh, go down to Catholic Charities in New York, where the Guild offices uh, has been recently, uh, and uh, volunteer there. So I don't know of any other colleges where students have been actively involved in a canonization process. And I think that's very cool. Uh, so this is a really exciting opportunity for our students, but we hope to also be a service to the local church and, and raising awareness of who Dorothy is. We're going to be housing the offices of the Dorothy Day Guild um, just to be able to provide you know, more support from students, volunteers, and other volunteers to the work and the co- what the college can offer. Uh, and we're, the college is very excited to support the and to partner with the archdiocese on this. Great. We're speaking with... Uh... Professor Kevin Ahern, and I am just delighted that, Kevin, that you've taken the time to be with us this week. Thanks for your generous time. Thank you for the work you're doing, and uh, we'll keep praying for the success of the cause. Thanks so much, and uh, good luck uh, with the rest of the program. Thank you. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. to just love just do it just love god just love your neighbor just love yourself and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate this is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through our prism of catholic social values beliefs and teaching um tom as um as we kind of think about you know engagement in things and voting obviously the work you do at catholic charities is all involved with that um but do you regularly vote? Oh, absolutely, Missy. I that's something. Even as a kid, you know, my my parents, Sarah Said, made reference to that. But you know, we always would go. Um, I remember, you know, going with my mom and my dad. We go at the time we voted in the local church. We go in the church and we would go vote. So um, I always I consider it a civic duty. So yep, uh, there's not a time that I haven't or not intentionally skipped an election if. Yeah. If I was away or something, that's it. But never skip an election this year, always. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good about voting. I can't, they're probably over the years I've missed maybe a year or two, but but I do, I agree with you. It is a civic responsibility. I do have to say that there are, I don't always vote for every single position mm-hmm. on the ballot um, because sometimes, sometimes some of the referendums are things I'm just not all that familiar with or I don't understand them or i also sometimes with judges you wind up having the same candidate yeah with a number of different lines and well i kind of figure they don't need my vote if it's the same candidate so um, you know so there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's, that's going on but i do i i am a big fan of early voting even though it's in a different place um it does give a lot of different opportunities to do it and i will want to say a word of compliment one of the sites I went to in the past two or three years, the people outside couldn't have been better in terms of welcoming you, showing you where to go, things like that. That has gotten better, mm-hmm. but it's not perfect because sometimes you get people who aren't too knowledgeable and that creates a little bit of a little bit of a problem. But, you know, I think uh, civic engagement is important and that somebody's trying to figure out how we do it, I think, is a is a really, really good, good idea. So, um, so thank you, listeners, for being with us on uh, Just Love. We do every week look at a variety of topics that are part of our environment and view them through the Catholic social teaching. But we also want to keep it personal. So we say to everybody, just love. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. Just love God. And if all of us, almost now 8 billion people in the world did that, our world would be more just and more compassion. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.